So good morning. As we uh, get ready to start here, I just want to mention that in two weeks, there is this thing called an election going on here in our country. And, and I really do want to encourage you to let your voice be heard. Um, because I'll be real honest with you, we as Christians, sometimes we shut up about the wrong thing and we, and we speak up about, wait, let me say that correctly. We shut up about the right things and we speak about the wrong things. There it is. You guys are in my mind this morning. And I just, I feel like... Um, we as a Christian nation need to let our voice be heard. And not only in an election, but in the very thing we're going to talk about this morning. Is, is all too often in the church, we, um, I don't want to dive into it just yet. I've got to slow down. Do you ever have one of those mornings where you just want to go? You have to forgive me. I, I, I just, this word has, this has exclamation points in it, and, and I'm going to apologize to you because I've heard people say in the past that, you know, when a preacher gets all riled up and runs around the stage and raises his voice, it just bothers them. And I'm going to apologize because I can't help it. Come on! Um, <laughs> because this word is so good this morning. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. We're going we're gonna to all walk through some dark spots in our soul this morning. And this is going to be a rough morning. But we're going to leave joyous the same way that David ends this psalm. So before I go there, I need to stop and start over here because there's a method to this. Um, Vote. There you go. (laughs) We are in the last uh, sermon in our series that we've entitled Anatomy of the Soul. And where we get the title for this comes from a quote by John Calvin. And I just want to share this with you real quick. John Calvin says this, referring to the Psalter. The Psalter is kind of like the fancy word for the Psalms. He says, the Psalter is an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. He adds this, that there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here in the Psalms. It's like a mirror. And and as we've walked through this road, we've talked about a lot of different things in our lives. We've talked about hurt. We've talked about rejoicing to God and praising God. But something that we're we're not, as as believers in the whole, something we're not really good at is really taking a hard look at this ugly, gross word called sin. And I'll be real honest with you, as a senior high I work with senior high students a lot. One of the things that comes to my table more than, more than almost anything is, is, Jamie, I feel like you don't know my story. If you knew the things I did, if you knew what I was involved in, you would not sit there and tell me that God can forgive me. Amen. Why am I amen? And the, the point is this. Every kid that says that to me, my heart breaks for them. Because I remember those days. And I'll be honest with you, I have those days. You have those days. And the reality of it is, is it's hard to deal with that stuff, so we don't. And we hide it. I remember as a kid, I mean, I I lived some life. And I'm going to tell you, there were some things in my life I was afraid to deal with. Because I thought that in some magical, mysterious way, God forgot to look at these parts of my life. And for a long time, I hid these things, and I struggled as a kid. I knew how to fake the church, Jamie. I knew how to be the part. But deep in my heart, in the reality of what I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's no way God could love me because of this, because of this, because of this. And year after year, I'd go to summer camp and have these different church uh, emotional experiences 
where, where I would have these thoughts of, okay, God, I love you and this, but you, you can't love me. There's no way you can love me because, God, if you really knew who I was, if you really knew what I did, there's absolutely no way. I remember as a kid in the, in the, in the 80s and early 90s singing that, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And I remember thinking as a kid, man, if the guy who wrote this song could, could even begin to think and fathom what I have done. I mean, this is, these are great lyrics and prepare and uh, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and cast me not away from thy presence and renew a right spirit within me. It's easy for that guy to say, is what I used to think. And I used to think that, that God was this guy that was like a cosmic killjoy that sat up there going, ooh, you just did that, that, and that. And I thought for sure that this grace and mercy that I've heard talked and preached about was good for everybody. But I, I thought to myself, there's no way. I, I, I thought to myself, I, I've committed the unpardonable sin of rejecting God. And so when I hear these students say this to me, I can relate to the turmoil in their heart. And I'd be willing to bet there's a lot of you in here in this room that when I'm telling that story, you can relate to that story one time in your life or right now. Maybe there's some of you in this room this morning that are having that very thought that I really want to pursue God. I really want to make this Jesus thing right. I have a hard time reading the Bible. I can't seem to focus when I pray. I just, I'm going to fake it because I can't really do this. I've just gone too far. Can God really love me? Can God really forgive me? The truth of the matter is this. If you are having that thought, you're closer to him than you realize. It's when we stop having those thoughts that we're far from God. And we stop caring about those things. We're further from God than we can realize. Here we are in the anatomy of the soul. And there I was as a punk kid, thinking I had it all figured out, thinking that I was better than Jesus because Jesus came to forgive the sins of, of all who would accept him. And, and, and here I was saying that I was better than that because I didn't feel like Jesus could forgive me. Here I was, this, this kid saying, these words of this song are great, but the guy who wrote this song, he couldn't relate to me. He, he hasn't done the things that I have done. He hasn't been involved in the violence that I haven't been involved in. But then, later in my life, I looked at the context of Psalm 51. And boy, was I wrong. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11 this morning before we get started. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like we're going to talk about David here because David's the one that wrote this psalm. He wrote the psalm that we're going to read in direct response to chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. And, and I, could, I could probably spend our whole sermon talking alone about this, but I, I, I want you to see in the scriptures where this is at. And, and, and homework for you today, write this down, please, is I want you to go home. No, you know what? I want you to wait till Tuesday or Wednesday, Wednesday when the hurricane's hitting. And I want you to read 11 and 12, and then I want you to think about the lyrics of that song. Whew. He loves us like a hurricane twists a tree. That, I mean, 
oh, I gotta, I gotta wait for, I gotta, I can't cry. Here we go. In 11, David has sent his armies. He sent his armies off to besiege the Ammonites in Rabbah. And where David makes a mistake is instead of going with his men, David stays home. He's got faithful men serving him, and they go to the battlefield. And he's sitting back, and he's bored one day in his palace, and he wanders to the, to the porch, wanders to the top, the roof. And he's just kind of looking out over the city. And I don't know if, if really in David's heart right here, this is intentional, or if this is just one of those pop-ups like we get on the internet. And he's walking around in his porch, and he looks down, and there's a beautiful woman, a beautiful naked woman, bathing herself. Now, to be honest, we could very easily rip David and say, oh, you thinner. Temptation's hard, isn't it? And he looks. And being of the position that he is in as the king, his lust can go to a deeper place than I think we can understand. Because he has the power to say, bring her to me. And in this lustful moment, David finds everything he can about this woman. He brings her to the palace. They do that thing. He lays with her. She's married. She's married to a guy named Uriah, who who is a faithful soldier to David. And in this passionate moment, David forgets all of that. He sleeps with this guy's wife and then sends her on her way, only to find out in a moment that she becomes pregnant. Oh, great. Uriah's been off at battle. He's been off with the soldiers. He's been where, I, where the men should be. He's been in the front lines battling for me. And I just slept with his wife. I believe in, in this moment, David is having this turmoil in his soul where, where he's not just gone down this road of, oh, I'm going to sin as much as possible right now. But I believe in this moment, he panics. So as the king, he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trick everybody. I'm going to bring Uriah home. Surely this guy's been on the battlefield. Surely I can get him drunk. Surely I can send him home with his wife. A little hanky-panky can happen. And, oh, Uriah, you're having a baby. Happens. He brings Uriah home. Uriah says to the king, I will not. Go down to my wife. My brothers in arms, they're in the battlefield. You are my king, and I will remain loyal to you. For the soldier does not worry himself about civilian affairs. Can you imagine what David felt in that moment? Oh, great. Not only did I sleep with a guy's wife, I slept with the most loyal, faithful soldier I have. And so he gives Uriah a message to Joab. He says, I want you to storm the city. Imagine this in your mind of what would happen to David if this happened today. He says, I want you to storm the city, and I want you to put Uriah, my faithful servant, put him in the front lines. And I want you to attack the walls. And then I want you to pull back. And when you pull back, don't tell Uriah about it. Leave him up there. I mean, David tried for days to get Uriah to stumble. But he was faithful. He was committed to his king. And sure enough, they stormed the walls. 
Uriah goes up front, takes an arrow, he's dead. Can you imagine what David must have been thinking in that moment? Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Now, I've impregnated this guy's wife. He was an amazing soldier. I had him killed. I I better bring her into the house. And so David takes this woman into his own. And finally, through an act of grace and mercy, God speaks to the prophet Nathan. He says, Nathan, look, I need you to go and talk to David because there is some serious stuff going on. And if you have your Bibles, please go to chapter 12. This is too good, and I want to read it to you. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. One of the requirements to be rich back in this day wasn't necessarily money as much as it was livestock. That's an important thing to remember as we go through this little parable. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. This is like the family dog. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came this traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And I want you to imagine, here's Nathan, this preacher, standing before the king, standing before his president. He says, that man's you, David. And I'm sure there was this silent pause, this, oh my gosh, this... mm. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there was, this was too little, I would add to you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite, with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it in secret. But I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. I think if you're caught in sin and you receive this type of rebuke, 
I think a lot of us would have this moment where we would go, well, it's Bathsheba's fault. She, was all, she, she wanted it. Or we would try to justify it with something, as we do every day as we commit sins in our lives, right? What I love about David's response in this moment, and forgive me for getting all excited and passionate about this, David comes up with this beautiful one-liner. He says, and I'm sure he was weeping, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan looks at David and he says, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went home. All of that to set up our scripture this morning. I thought the writer of this psalm could never relate to me. This adulterous, conniving, murderous, lying jerk. Does that sound like anybody you know? I mean, if that doesn't make your heart heavy, I don't know what can. This was the man after God's own heart. Sin is such a messed up thing and it permeates us at the very core of who we are. That the man after God's own heart was a murderous, rapist, conniving jerk. Close your eyes, people. I want you to literally close your eyes. I'm not worried about you falling asleep. I want you to think about who you are. Who are you in the deepest, darkest parts of your soul? What are the things that you're trying to hide from God? What is the sin that you can't let go of? What is the sin that you're addicted to? I'm going to tell you right now, we are no better than David. We can relate to David. We are David, I hope. Because of sin and the way that we're born with it, we are broken, messed up creatures, one decision away from being the worst human being that this planet has ever seen. Do the things you're thinking about break your heart? Does it burden you that you're fake? Does it burden you that you'll pretend like everything's okay? wages of sin is death. And as David wrote this psalm, I'm sure he's thinking, I deserve death. What have I done? Keep your eyes closed and I want you to listen to the words of David's heart as he cries out to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned, God, and I have done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What he's saying there is is sin is a part of who I am from the very moment that I was born. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You can open your eyes. Here, David's crying out to God and he's saying, God, it's not because of I'm the king. It's not because of anything that I'm doing. But God, I have really screwed up and I need you to forgive me of my sins and I need you to, to, to just forgive me and clean me. And I'm going to tell you folks, David messed up bad. So did you. So did I. But David came to a moment and he did a couple of things right. He recognized that he was sinful. He recognized his sin. He didn't try to, to, to pretend to hide it any longer. He didn't try to talk his way out of it. He simply asked God to convict him of it. And he asked God to turn his face away from his sin. When you recognize that you're in need of a Savior, that's when the beautiful parts of your life start. Amen. When you recognize that the grace and mercy from Jesus dying on the cross is what you need in your life. That is when the most beautiful part of your life begins. Because grace can restore any soul. Did you hear me? I don't care what you have done. I don't care. Because the book tells me that any transgression, if you look to the Lord and plead for forgiveness, He can take hyssop and wash you white as snow. When you recognize your sin, and you recognize that only grace can restore your soul. When you recognize that there's no kind of self-help group that's going to get you through this. There's no way to Tony Robbins your way into the kingdom of heaven. There's no way to sit around and read books about how to make yourself feel better about the junk you've done. The only way that those things in your life can be washed away is by giving them to God, by asking for forgiveness and asking Him to wash you with hyssop. You can clap for that. Because when David mentions in verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. The, the, the ceremonial cleansing of hyssop is when they would literally dip this in blood and there was a cleansing that would happen with blood. And when David is making reference to purge me with hyssop, he's making direct reference to the blood of Jesus. He's making direct reference to that, that, sanctific- that, that purification, that justification to Christ. He says, clean me with hyssop and wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And here's the deal. 
You're a jerk, I'm a jerk, we're all messed up, right? Amen? Look to the person next to you and say, you're messed up. We're all messed up, but here's the deal. If you will look to God and you will allow Him to clean you, if you will just simply submit to that, He will clean you. But here's the deal. God doesn't sit there and ask us to come to, and bring our junk to the altar and to, and to weep and to just beg for mercy for years to come. Oh, Lord, I aborted my child. Forgive me. And for the next 30 years, you repeat the same thing. I'm here to tell you, the moment you gave that to God, David tells us he turns his face from that sin. And the second time you pray to God about that, if you have been sincere about that in your heart, the second time you pray about that to God, he says, what are you talking about? That was washed away. That was cleaned. Let go of it. Because I'm here to tell you, in this passage that David is, is singing, he's this, this psalm, he doesn't stop with this, I'm a jerk, I'm a jerk, thanks for forgiving me, turn your head away from my sin. Because the very next part of this is a happy ending. It's this beautiful moment where David recognized his sin. He recognized that only God's grace can restore his soul. And, and the only thing that can happen to a human being when you have that true just repentance, when you've truly given that junk to God, the next thing that comes out of you should be a joyous leap. Because you're free. Because those things are now nailed to Jesus on the cross and not you. And while that should break our hearts, we should be joyous about it. Because I'm going to pick it up here in verse 9. Excuse me, in verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's the point of this whole thing. That God will restore us. David is known through history as who? The man after God's own heart. He had to go through some stuff to get there, right? And I'm here to tell you, after this, as we've talked about already, David's story still messed up. He still suffers from sin. Just like each one of us is going to be tempted, and I'm willing to bet we mess up one more time before we get the glory. Only one. one. (laughs) If you're truly righteous. I'm kidding, obviously. We're messed up. We're sinful beings. And part of following Christ and following this is learning how to be more like Jesus by surrendering ourselves to Him like David surrendered himself here, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with me, uh, excuse me, and uphold me with a willing, willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'm going to take the junk, God, that I have come through, that you have forgiven me of, and I'm going to use it to help other people. Do you ever think maybe God has allowed you to go through something horrible? So that you can bring glory to him by helping others who may not be strong enough to make it? Anybody got that story in their life, maybe? Deliver me. Excuse me. I, I will teach 
transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness. O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are broken spirits and a broken, contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Is there sin in your life? And I'm going to use the word sin. Sin is actually a term in archery that means to have missed the mark. Is there transgressions in your life? Is there iniquities? Iniquities are perversions. And, 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 and these words that he uses for sin are the things that we are doing that are counter to God. Is there things in your life that you're doing that are stagnating your relationship with him? Is there things that you just don't believe he can forgive this morning? Listen, people. God can fix anything. He can fix anybody. And if he can use a bag of hammers like the disciples to change the world, he can use you and I. Surrender to him this morning. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never cried out to Jesus and asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Do that this morning. Don't you want to have the weight of that junk gone? Wouldn't it be great to go home and watch the Steeler game and just feel so good because God loves you? I don't care if they win or lose. Lord Jesus, thank you for setting me free from those heavy chains that have held me down. Wouldn't it be good to do that this afternoon? It's not about a feeling. It's not about an emotion. It's about loving God. Be a love this morning. Surrender to him. We're going to end this service this morning the way that I think we should end this service. Because I think we can get really bogged down in our sin and we can really get bogged down in repentance. But we forget about that joy of repentance. And so I want to say this to you this morning. After the, immediately following the service, there's going to be people available for you to come up and pray with. And if you just feel like you need to come up and you need to deal with some junk and you need to give them some things over to God, come up here and pray. We're, we're even going to make communion offered over here for some folks that maybe just want to go that extra step. But this morning, let us be joyous because we have a God who will clean us with hyssop who will clean us with the blood of Christ. Deal with your junk this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for David's life. And God, it would be so easy for us to sit here and to just mourn and weep over the transgressions in our lives, God. And I don't mean that lightly because some of us have some really heavy stuff to deal with. God, I pray that you would help us to forgive ourselves so that we can truly just give that stuff to you. God, I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would not feel a desire to cling to the evil things in our lives that we don't think we can escape. 
Because you have told us that we can. That we can escape it. Not by anything that we do. But because you choose to turn your face away from it. And the repentant heart is beautiful to you. Maybe the fact that David was so screwed up, but so repentant, is the reason why he was known as the man after God's own heart. May it be said of us this morning, God, that we are people longing for your heart.